0: In this week's episode of Becoming Elizabeth, things come to a head between Thomas Seymour and Elizabeth. But am I angry or have I calmed down? And just how close was this episode to history? Let me explain. Well, this episode episode 3 didn't get me as angry as last week, but I'm still not 100% happy with how the Thomas Seymour and Elizabeth storyline is coming across, how it's playing out. If I didn't know the history behind it, I think I might be inclined to see it as an illicit love affair rather than a case of grooming and manipulation. I think this is partly because Thomas and Elizabeth don't look like a 39-year-old man and a 14-year-old girl. It would be highly inappropriate to cast a 14-year-old actress, but I think they could have done with someone who looked younger. What do you think? I'd like to know your thoughts. Now, I was expecting the slashing of the dress scene this week, and it happened. I thought I'd share with you an excerpt from Catherine Ashley's testimony so that you can compare history with the becoming Elizabeth scene. Here's what Cat said. Another time at Hanworth in the garden, he raided with her and cut her gown in a hundred pieces, being black cloth. And when she came up, this examinant chied with her And her grace answered, she could not do with all, for the Queen held her while the Lord Admiral cut it. So Kat wasn't an eyewitness. She told Elizabeth off for the state of her dress and her grace, which is how Elizabeth would have been addressed by those around her, not by princess, explained that her state of undress was not her fault, explaining that her stepmother held her while Thomas Seymour cut it. I'm assuming that rated means berated and perhaps Seymour was berating the girl for still wearing mourning clothes. But Kat and Jane were not present and it happened in the gardens, not inside. But I could see where they were going with this scene. Elizabeth's emotions were all over the place. She didn't understand it. Her stepmother was there. Was it all a game? It was confusing and scary to her because she didn't know whether it was a prank. After all, Catherine was egging her husband on. Obviously, we see Catherine's concern, though, on her face at the end of it. Of course, we see Catherine Ashley's horror and Jane's laughing turn to horror as well. The scene where Seymour is reassuring Elizabeth over the Mary letter incident is fictional. I can also see where they were going with this. While everyone is cross with Elizabeth and she feels angry, upset, scared and alone, this man she admires, who is charming and good-looking, seems to reassure her. He's someone she can turn to and he doesn't see her as a fool. He says he can see her very, very clearly. She falls under his spell. And the fading out as they kiss suggests a lot more happens between them. It seems to suggest that their relationship is consummated. But then Seymour goes from reassuring her to tearing her down. When Elizabeth is angry that Catherine and Seymour use her birthday party, and by the way, I don't believe that birthdays were celebrated in that way in Tudor times, She's angry that they use her birthday party and they're scheming that it's not about her at all, it's about them, their ambition, their plans and she complains and Seymour puts her in her place. He goes from reassuring her the other night that she wasn't a fool to telling her that they wouldn't have to be doing what they were if she hadn't messed up and he calls her a child. He makes her vulnerable again and probably desperate pleas. And then he comes into her bedroom drunk and acting vulnerable himself, sharing with her his feelings about his brother, and he brings back their previous intimacy. Although Elizabeth pushes him away and says that she understands things better now, she's falling under his spell again. Just as they are getting intimate though, Catherine walks in, And that's the end of the relationship. I can see how viewers in the know could see this as Thomas Seymour, the head of the household, the person who rules the roost, carefully grooming this girl. And it is clear that Elizabeth is confused, part scared, part in love. But for me, it's still coming across as a love affair. I mean, I almost see it as two star-crossed lovers who should have been together, desperately trying to grab some moments of intimacy when they can. It's an affair more than clear abuse or grooming. Now, I know these things aren't black and white, and it's only my opinion, but I still have issues with it. We know that Thomas Seymour, the real Thomas Seymour, had his own personal key to Elizabeth's room, and I wish they'd shown that. I don't know, that just seems more predatory to me than what has been shown in the series, but I do get that they're trying to show how grooming can sometimes not be obvious. In fact, quite a lot of the time not be obvious. But then I found the scene between Catherine and Elizabeth uncomfortable, There's no way of us knowing what happened between the two after Catherine caught Thomas and Elizabeth together. And Catherine did catch them together. Thomas Parry, a member of Elizabeth's household, stated, one time the Queen, suspecting the often access of the Admiral to the Lady Elizabeth's grace, came suddenly upon them where they were all alone, he having her in his arms. Wherefore, the Queen fell out both with the Lord-Admiral and with her grace also. From what Parry says, and you'll notice there he's calling her Lady Elizabeth and her grace, not princess, Catherine was angry with them both. But I'm sure after her initial shock and anger, she would have had some compassion and understanding for Elizabeth's situation. And I can't imagine her bringing up Anne Boleyn, even in extreme anger. Interestingly, The description used by Catherine of Seymour when she says I married a man of little wit or judgment are very close to the words that according to legend Elizabeth said is said to have uttered on the day that Seymour was executed Elizabeth said this day died a man of much wit and very little judgment obviously Elizabeth gives him some wit there and of course, when Catherine says that she's been blind to Elizabeth but can see her now, and Elizabeth says, I'm the same as always, that foreshadows the motto used by Elizabeth as Queen, Semper Edom, always the same. I'm not sure that the real Elizabeth would have denied everything Catherine was a mother and friend to her and I think she would have been honest with her about what had been happening and she would have been backed up by members of her household. Just as Catherine sends Elizabeth away in the show, the real Catherine Parr arranged for Elizabeth to stay in Cheshunt with Sir Anthony Denny and his wife Joan. Joan was the sister of Catherine Ashley and Catherine and Elizabeth did part amicably. In the episode, we saw Elizabeth hurt at being sent away, her upset and shock as she sees that Seymour has chosen Catherine and that he's not going to do anything to stop it or help her. We see her thinking about the intimate moments they've had, her confusion and her heartbreak, but we also see Seymour looking sad. I've always thought of him as just using her and not having any real feelings for her. But what do you think? As I've mentioned before, Elizabeth then had an awful summer of illness with the Dennys. I don't believe she was pregnant with Seymour's child, as was rumoured at the time, but I do think the stress of the situation took its toll on her. I can't begin to imagine how she felt. Moving on, the timeline was strange with this episode. In reality, Thomas Seymour's first visit to Elizabeth's bedchamber was in June 1547, the dress slashing was in autumn 1547, and Elizabeth was sent away by Catherine in June 1548. So Seymour's grooming and abuse took place when Elizabeth was 13 and 14. Elizabeth's 15th birthday, in reality, was the 7th of September 1548, eight days after Catherine Parr had given birth and just a couple of days after Catherine had died. So there's no way that Catherine was around for Elizabeth's 15th birthday. The celebrations for Elizabeth's birthday are all fictional, as was Elizabeth's humiliation of Lady Jane Grey and Jane being whipped by her father, thank goodness. The show is making Henry Gray to be a weak man bent on getting some power, don't you think? And a man who bullies his daughter. And that has been drawn, I believe, from scholar and royal tutor Roger Ascombe's words years after Jane and her parents had died. Ascombe had visited Jane in 1550 and found her alone, the rest of the family having gone hunting. And Jane complained to Ascombe about her family, saying, "'For when I am in presence, either of father or mother, "'whether I speak, keep silence, sit, stand, or go, "'eat, drink, be merry or sad, be sewing, playing, dancing, "'or doing anything else, I must do it as it were, "'in such weight, measure, and number, even so perfectly as God made the world. Or else I am so sharply taunted, so cruelly threatened, yea, presently, sometimes with pinches, nips and bobs and other ways which I will not name for the honour I bear them, so without measure misordered that I think myself in hell." Till time come that I must go to Mr Aylmer, who teacheth me so gently, so pleasantly, with such fair allurements to learning, that I think all the time nothing whilst I am with him. And when I am called from him, I fall on weeping, because whatsoever I do else but learning is full of grief, trouble, fear and whole misliking unto me. And thus my book hath been so much my pleasure, and bringeth daily to me more pleasure and more, that in respect of it all other pleasures in very deed be but trifles and troubles unto me. These words from a teenage uh, Lady Jane Grey have been exaggerated by historians and novelists alike, and the Greys have been turned into monsters. I'll give you a link to an article by historian Susan Higginbotham on this topic and how Frances Grey, Jane's mother, has been particularly maligned over the centuries. Henry Grey, though, is not one of history's likeable characters. Historian Robert C. Braddock, in his Oxford Dictionary of National Biography bio of Henry Grey, describes him as gullible when talking about Thomas Seymour's scheme to arrange a marriage between Jane and Edward VI, and how he brought little distinction to the Privy Council. His ambition and arrogance seem to have blinded him, and I think we see that in this series. In this episode, we also saw tensions between Edward VI and Edward Seymour, Duke of Somerset and Lord Protector, carefully manipulated by Thomas Seymour and Catherine Parr. Is this true? Well, Somerset did seem to think he was king. As historian Barrett L. Beer points out, he used the royal we, he used royal proclamations ...on a scale which exceeded that of Henry VIII's reign, and he was authoritarian. His brother Thomas really did all he could to undermine him and challenge him. And while Somerset was away campaigning, Thomas tried to win favour from his nephew the king and began giving him money. Later, he told the boy that he should rule independently within two years and carried on giving him more money, making himself look the generous uncle while Somerset was mean and wanted to be king. However, as far as I can remember, there was no huge argument between the king and Somerset in front of his council and Thomas and Catherine. I can't see Somerset talking to the king like that. Edward was young, but he was the king. As for the Gardner storyline, the idea that Somerset released Gardner to undo the damage caused by Elizabeth's letter to Mary, this is fictional. Elizabeth did not get into trouble for writing a letter to Mary, although Edward definitely favoured Elizabeth because of their shared faith and the fact that he was opposed to Mary's faith and also Mary's lifestyle, the fact that she enjoyed dancing and the finer things in life. Stephen Gardner, Bishop of Winchester, had been imprisoned in the fleet in September 1547 due to his opposition to religious reform. But he was released in early 1548 and then imprisoned again, this time in the Tower in June 1548. But he was kept there until Mary released him after she became Queen. So this storyline is fictional, but it's used, I think, to one, make Elizabeth vulnerable, and two, it shows Somerset trying to prevent any trouble for Mary and the Catholics who are loyal to her. We know that later in July 1553, Mary had no trouble rallying people to her cause to take the throne from Lady Jane Grey. So it's good to see that side of Mary being recognised here. I was asked in comments and messages last week about Pedro the knight who served with Somerset in Scotland and who then turns to Mary to offer his support. Well, I've been digging and Pedro de Negro really did exist and he was a Spanish soldier who fought under Henry VIII and Edward VI. He was indeed knighted by Somerset after the Battle of Pinkie. I'll give you a link to an article by historian Miranda Kaufman on him, as it gives a detailed biography of him. He died in London from sweating sickness in July 1551, and was given a lavish funeral. Pedro's surname, De Negro, or of black, obviously points to him having a dark complexion, and in her article Kaufman looks at the evidence for Pedro being black, and it really is interesting. And I'd also highly recommend her book, Black Tudors, too. Pedro may have been Spanish, but there doesn't seem to be any link between him and Mary in real life. But I have enjoyed their scenes together, and he is the perfect foil. I know people are going to ask me about Elizabeth wearing the bee necklace. Of course, this is fictional, but I did love this scene. It is a myth that Elizabeth ignored or shied away from her mother's memory. She surrounded herself with Boleyn relatives before and after her accession. She later used her mother's falcon badge. Her courtiers displayed portraits of Anne Boleyn in their homes to please their queen. Treatises and biographies of Anne Boleyn were written. And, as historian Laura Mackay points out, on a visit to Norwich Cathedral in 1578... Elizabeth I requested that her throne be turned so that it faced the Berlin Chapel. Elizabeth clearly loved her mother and was proud to be half Berlin. That scene gladdened my heart. Finally, I want to talk about Catherine Parr's reaction to her pregnancy. In this episode, we see her shock and upset at news of her pregnancy. It's not convenient. She has so many things to do. And then she declares it a death sentence for her and the child. She really does seem shell-shocked. Now, I'm sure her pregnancy was a shock to Catherine, with it being her first, well, that we know about, in four marriages. But in reality, the real Catherine said it was a gift and a jewel from God. She was happy. I'm sure I've missed lots out, so do ask me questions and I'd love to hear what you think as well. Despite my misgivings and my frustration over the Elizabeth and Seymour storyline, I am enjoying the series. It's clear that Anya Rice has done her research and I like the way she foreshadows future events. I also think the fictional elements have been woven into the real history quite seamlessly. Please do share your thoughts about the series and about the history that has served as inspiration. Thank you for joining me and do comment. Take care. Bye bye.